We'll start with a question for those of you who are Christians. The question is this. When you came to Jesus, what did you think you were getting? What did you think Jesus had for you? What was it Jesus was going to give you when you came to him? Now, in answer to that, we might say, well, I came to Jesus for forgiveness. He paid for my sin on the cross. He is able to forgive my sin. That's why I came to Jesus. If we answered the question that way, we would be right. In Jesus, there is forgiveness for our sin. That is a wonderful reality. Is there any other way we might answer the question, what does Jesus have for you? Well, we might say, Jesus gives me eternal life. When I came to him, he gave me an eternal hope. I know the grave is not the end for me. In Christ, my destiny is God's new heaven and earth. My eternal future is with God in the new home he has for his people. That is also wonderfully true. Along with forgiveness, eternal life is a fantastic gift we receive from Jesus. And taken together, those two realities are an incredible package. If that was the extent of what Jesus had for us, that would be enough for us to be happy and thankful for the rest of our lives and to praise him for the rest of our lives. But in the passage we're going to look at this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us when we come to Jesus, he has even more for us. There is more to the package. We're in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in recent weeks, we've heard a lot from Paul about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this morning, we're going to hear about Christ, our treasury. A treasury is a place where valuable things are kept secure. And that is how Jesus is described in our passage. If you turn there, you'll find the passage on uh, page 1183 in the church Bible or in the larger print Bibles 1830. We're going to read from Colossians 1 verse 28 down to chapter 2 verse 7. In the verses we looked at last week, Paul was speaking about Jesus Christ. That's where he finished. And as we pick up in verse 28, Paul is still speaking about Jesus. He says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom 
are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This is God's Word. And it has a very simple message for us. The message is, Jesus Christ has everything you need for wholeness. So, pursue wholeness in Him, not anywhere else. Very simple message. But if you and I get to grips with it, it's also a very exciting message for us. First, Paul says, Jesus Christ has everything you need for wholeness. Last week we read an account of Paul's conversion in the book of Acts. And we read how at one stage, Paul was putting all of his energy into destroying the church of Jesus Christ. But Jesus himself met Paul, and Jesus turned Paul's life in a whole new direction. Paul was given the job of sharing the good news about Jesus. And as we hear that, we might think that Paul's job would be done when people heard about Jesus and responded by putting their trust in Jesus. We might think that would be a result. When people had been gathered into God's family, the church, their sins had been forgiven, they had a new destiny in heaven with God, wouldn't that be job done for Paul? Well, you and I might think so, but Paul himself does not think so. Look again at chapter 1, verse 28. Speaking about Jesus Christ, Paul says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul does not believe his job is done when a man or woman or a child prays a prayer asking Jesus to forgive their sin. Now, no doubt Paul was absolutely delighted every time that happened. But he did not think the job was done when that happened. Paul's goal, he says, is to present everyone fully mature in Christ. What does that mean? Well, to be mature is to be fully developed. When someone is physically mature, their body is fully developed. But Paul is hardly talking about physical maturity here. He's talking about being fully developed in our ability to live life. Having everything that is necessary to face life. With all of its challenges, all of its stresses. having everything that we need to face those challenges and stresses without despairing, without being defeated. Paul is talking about 
wholeness. Not lacking anything we need to live this life. And in verse 28, Paul says, this wholeness is available to us in Christ. And to see what Paul means by that, we're going to jump down to chapter 2, verse 3. If you look down there in chapter 2, verse 3, speaking still about Jesus Christ, Paul says, He is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We've seen several times already in this letter, a lot of what Paul is saying has a background in the Old Testament. And that's the case here as well. A lot of the Old Testament is concerned with wisdom. Bible scholars talk about the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And we read from one of those wisdom books earlier, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3 speaks about how precious wisdom is. It speaks about how profitable wisdom is. It tells us wisdom prevents your foot from stumbling. Wisdom keeps your foot from being snared. It tells us the ways of wisdom are pleasant ways. And that gives us a hint that wisdom has to do with daily life. Wisdom is practical in the Bible. It's not about knowing all the answers in a quiz. Fairly useless information. In the Old Testament, the ideal wise person is not a guy with a long white beard who lives by himself in a cave on the top of a mountain. Who comes out of his cave every so often to say cryptic, deep things that aren't particularly useful. No, in the Old Testament, the ideal wise person is someone who knows how to live well in the challenges and the hazards of daily life. How to face the things that could make you stumble. The things that could snare you if you're not wise. In the Old Testament, the ideal wise man is King Solomon. When Solomon became king of Israel... God appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said to him, ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And most of us probably would have a hard time giving a good answer to that. But Solomon did give a good answer. Here's the answer he gave. He said, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Now Solomon is not literally a little child. At this point in his life, he is a grown man with a son of his own. But what Solomon is saying to God is, I feel like a little child. I don't feel equipped for the decisions and the challenges of daily life as Israel's king. 
I don't feel mature enough for that. I'm lacking. When it comes to facing what is in front of me, I am not whole. I don't have everything I need. Solomon realizes that he is out of his depth. And when he asks God for a discerning heart, he's not asking for the kind of wisdom the guy in the cave on the top of the mountain has. Solomon is not looking for wisdom that's disconnected from daily life. He's not asking for the ability to answer quiz questions. Solomon wants the maturity, the wholeness to do daily life well. And in his case, that meant doing daily life as Israel's king. And this passage in 1 Kings, if we were to read on, it goes on to tell us that God granted Solomon's request. The writer of 1 Kings straight away gives us an example of that wisdom in action. An incredibly practical challenge that Solomon faced. Two prostitutes bring a baby to the king, and they both claim the child as their own. And they want the king to resolve the dispute. If you want to know what Solomon did, you can read the end of 1 Kings chapter 3 later. In fact, the writer of Kings gives other examples as well. Solomon's wisdom in administration. His wisdom in organization and trade. And the point that's relevant to you and me right now is the wisdom God gave Solomon was wisdom for dealing with daily life. It was the maturity and the wholeness Solomon needed for living in the midst of down-to-earth realities. And when Paul says here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, that all the treasures of wisdom are hidden in Christ, that is the kind of wisdom Paul means. He's telling us that in Christ, we find what we need to negotiate daily life well. Whatever daily life looks like for each of us. And by the way, saying those treasures of wisdom are hidden in Christ, that does not mean they are concealed from us. It does not mean they are locked away from us. It means they are stored up for us in Christ. Matthew Henry says, The treasures of wisdom are hidden not from us, but for us in Christ. The treasures of wisdom are hidden not from us, but for us in Christ. Managers of sports teams often speak about asking their players to go to the well. If they have a load of important games in a row, they'll say that they're going to have to go to the well one more time. I assume what they mean is they're going to have to dig deep inside themselves for the resources that they need. Well, as Christians, we don't look inside ourselves for what we need. Christ is our well. We go to Him. He is our treasury. And those treasures are there to be accessed by those who belong to Christ. Notice verse 3 says, He has 
all the treasures of wisdom. That's comprehensive. That is enough for every situation. Now with that in mind, let's back up in our passage to chapter 1, verse 28. We left that verse on ice for a bit. If we come back to it now, we're ready to get what Paul is saying. He says his goal is to present everyone fully mature in Christ, or whole in Christ. Now we know Paul means full of the wisdom that is available to us in Christ. Being equipped for daily life, for the challenges daily life brings us, emotional challenges, moral challenges, relational challenges. Don't those things often show us that we are completely out of our depth? Don't we often feel like little children? in the face of daily life? But Paul assures us, Jesus Christ has all the treasures of wisdom we need. He has the treasures we need to negotiate life well, to be emotionally mature people, morally mature people, Mature in the ways we relate to other people. And so Paul is not content when someone prays a prayer asking Jesus for forgiveness. Paul does not believe his job is done at that point. He wants to see that person mature in Jesus. Whole in Jesus. In their own unique circumstances, in their own specific challenges, Paul wants to see that person drawing on the treasury of wisdom that's available in Jesus. And apparently, Paul does not believe there need to be any exceptions to this. In verse 28, he says, this is for everyone. He says it several times in that verse. Paul believes that every Christian can grow maturity in Christ. Every Christian can grow to wholeness. No Christian needs to stop at the point of receiving forgiveness and eternal life from Jesus. Jesus has more to give every Christian. As we come to him like Solomon, praying, Lord, as I face this challenge, as I face this responsibility, I feel like a little child. So help me. Supply me with wisdom from your treasury of wisdom. Now, does Paul believe that wholeness will be fully experienced by any Christian in this life? Before Jesus returns to this earth? No. In verse 28, when he speaks about presenting everyone fully mature in Christ, he is speaking about the day of Christ's return. 
that is when we will fully experience wholeness in Christ. But Paul does believe very strongly each of us can grow in our experience of wholeness before then. He believes each of us can progress towards full maturity in this life. If Paul didn't believe that, he would not be busting his gut to lead Christians to maturity. He'd just get them saved and leave them alone. But he's not content to do that. Look at verse 29. He says, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. That's an amazing insight into the situation here. Paul has not been to the city of Colossae. But as he writes this letter to them and their neighboring church in the city of Laodicea, even though he hasn't met these people personally, Paul is strenuously contending to see them whole in Christ. Now, given the situation, we probably forgive Paul if he was content to know these people had come to Jesus in repentance and faith. We'd forgive him if he was content to see them forgiven of their sin and headed for heaven. But Paul wants them to receive more from Jesus. He wants them to be equipped for their own situation. And Paul does know about their situation. He's heard about it from his good friend Epaphras, who has been in Colossae. And we've seen in previous weeks what the situation in Colossae is. These Christians are in danger of being confused and tempted by false forms of spirituality. Paul wants to see them facing that situation with maturity. He wants them to face that situation with wisdom from Christ. And Paul knows, whatever our situation, Jesus Christ has everything we need for wholeness in that situation. And so, Paul says, pursue wholeness in Him, not anywhere else. Paul knows Jesus has everything the Colossians need, but he knows also the Colossians are in danger of being lured away after other things that claim to have treasures of wisdom and knowledge to offer. Other things that promise to make them whole. And so after pointing them to Christ, Paul says in chapter 2 verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. What's interesting is these Christians of Colossae have not gone off the rails. Paul has heard from Epaphras that up to this point they've been living solid lives that are faithful to Jesus. So far, their faith in Jesus has been firm. But Paul knows they're hearing other fine-sounding arguments 
They're hearing other things that sound plausible and persuasive and so reasonable. They're hearing other ideas about spirituality that seem attractive. And those ideas are promising to give them a better handle on life. A better handle on relationships. A better handle on peace in the midst of difficulties. But Paul says those ideas are deceptive. Because they lead away from Christ. They lead away from the one who has not just some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They lead away from the one who has all the treasures. All we need. And so any teaching that claims to provide more than Jesus provides is deceptive teaching. It doesn't lead us toward wholeness. It leads us away from it. And today, maybe some of us are like the Colossians in this. Like what Paul describes in verses 4 and 5. Outwardly, our lives are solid in terms of how we conduct ourselves. To everyone around us, our faith in Christ seems to be firm. But it could be there are other voices that are beginning to catch our ear. With fine-sounding arguments, plausible ideas, persuasive ideas, suggesting that they can offer us more than we can find in Christ. Telling us they have the real key to wholeness in this life. What should we do in that situation? Well, look what Paul tells us in verse 6. He says, So then, in other words, even though all seems good with you, your life and faith are strong, all the same, because there are other fine-sounding arguments all around, here's what you need to do. Just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. First of all, Paul says, we're to go deep down into Christ. To put our roots deep down in Him. One of the stories Jesus told was about a farmer who went out and sowed his seed. The seed fell on different kinds of soil. And in some cases, the soil looked to be producing good results at first. But the plants didn't last. And the reason they didn't last is because they had no root. The seed that produced lasting fruit was the seed that got its roots deep down into the soil. And Jesus explained that story by saying, that seed is like people who get their roots deep down into my word. Those are the people who will not be choked by the worries of this life and the desires for other things. Or in Paul's words, those people won't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. 
So when we spoke earlier about Jesus having all the wisdom we need for daily life, we might have wondered at that point, how do we get that wisdom? We pray for it, yes, but how does Jesus give it to us? Is there a list somewhere that Jesus has for us of 1,001 scenarios from daily life and how to deal with each of them? Is there a file we can download somewhere? Is there an app of 1,001 difficult situations and what to do when you face each of them? Not exactly. Going to Jesus as our treasury of wisdom is about putting our roots deep down into his word, the Bible. And that means not treating the Bible like an answer book. It means going to the Bible to get to know Jesus better. The Bible is not an answer book. It's not an encyclopedia. It's not Wikipedia, where you can go and find articles on everything you ever wanted to know about. And maybe at a stretch, the Bible will give you five keys to good parenting, or four steps to a healthy marriage, or three guidelines for aging gracefully. Maybe at a stretch, you can get that from the Bible, and there's some value in trying to distill that. But that is not really what the Bible is for. The Bible is a relational book. It is for relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Now, of course, there are commands we must follow. There are direct instructions in the Bible. But even the commands and the instructions are revealing the character of the one who gives those commands and instructions. We get to know God through the commands and instructions that he gives. The Bible is a relational book. And that means even the parts of it that we find tough, particularly parts of the Old Testament, we can acknowledge there are parts that are tough. But Jesus said, even about those parts, he said, the Old Testament scriptures are about me. You can get to know me through those scriptures. Now, you might have to dig yourself well in, but Jesus says, those scriptures will take you deeper into relationship with me. And that's why when we meet here together, we turn to the scriptures together. Not for seven ways to make friends or six ways to be successful in business. We turn to the scriptures to meet Jesus. To get our roots deep into him. And we have to make time and we have to find ways to do that at home as well. We will not get ourselves rooted in Jesus any other way. And notice what Paul says next in verse 7. We're to be rooted and built up in Christ. So the picture of a plant switches to the picture of a building. What Paul is saying is the deeper we get our roots down into Christ, the more we'll be building our lives on Christ. 
The more we know Jesus, the more our thinking and our life decisions will be wise. Our thinking and our decisions about marriage and parenting and aging and friendships and finance and business and everything else. We said earlier, there is no file, there's no master document that lists all the answers for those things. But the more we know Jesus through his word, the more rooted we are in him, the more mature our thinking and our decisions will be about all of those things and everything else that I didn't mention. When our roots are not in Jesus, our thinking will be misguided. To one degree or another, our decisions will be flaky. The lives we build will be flimsy. And even when they look great on the outside, in time they will be shown to be flimsy. Easily blown off course by lies and deception. Easily blown over by difficulties. In verse 7, Paul says the way to strength or the way to wholeness is not by following the latest fine-sounding argument, not by following the latest personality who claims to have the secret that unlocks success. No, the way to wholeness, Paul says, is being strengthened in the faith as you were taught. The faith is the good news about Jesus that Paul proclaims. It's not the faith we have, it's the faith we trust in. It's the same good news that came to Colossae through Epaphras. The good news that Jesus is our Lord and he is our Savior and he has all the treasures of wisdom. We don't need to look anywhere else. We just need to get our roots deeper in him. And as we do, Paul says, it will cause us to overflow with thankfulness. Maturity in Christ will not make us dismal, dreary people. It will make us people who overflow with thankfulness. Not fake thankfulness, but genuine thankfulness that comes from deep within us. Praising this Lord who loves us and leads us and supplies us daily from his treasures of wisdom. In a moment, we're going to share this meal that Jesus gave us. It is a solemn meal, but as solemn as it is, it is also an opportunity for thanksgiving, for all the riches we have in Christ. But before we share this meal, we're going to sing, and this is a song that looks to Jesus as our treasury, the one who supplies all that we need. And there are many different needs mentioned in this song. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end.